0: Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 76, Okanagan Ice Age Floods. Thanks for listening. I just got back from a very memorable weekend field trip to British Columbia, a different country. I live in Washington. That means I had to get across the border. And here we are in uh, early October 2021, and you can get into Canada from the U.S., but not vice versa. In other words, Canadian citizens cannot cross into the U.S. Hopefully that will change soon. Yes, it's related to COVID, blah, 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 blah. But uh, I have a buddy named Jerome Lessman, and he's a geology professor at Vancouver Island University. And I want to tell you about Jerome. I want to tell you about what I learned this weekend from Jerome. And Jerome was teaching a class. It was a field trip, a field course. And so a dozen of his VIU students uh, were along. I camped with them both Friday and Saturday night, uh, this fir- first weekend in October. And uh, I'm, I'm amped. I'm excited. And I'm also annoyed. So let me... Um, Follow through on on those emotions. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize I was annoyed, but I guess I am, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. I think we need a little background first. So there's no preamble. I'm getting right into it. There's no preamble here. The background to make sense of why this weekend was important uh, comes in a couple of different forms. Long ago, uh, like ten years ago. I started uh, dealing with uh, television cameras and local television cameras. Now, this is back when cable TV was king, you know, 2008, 2009, whatever. Even back earlier, actually, now that I think about it. But uh, around 2009, 2010, I on this little TV program that I had called Central Rocks, Central Washington University, Geology, ha ha, Central Rocks. I interviewed the most well known American Ice Age floods geologists Vic Baker, so there's an interview with him. It's still online, it's still on YouTube. Richard Waite, Jim O'Connor, Bruce Bjornstad, and by interviewing those guys and developing kind of an email relationship with each of them since then, and even before then, I guess. And then you know that I was making videos with Tom Foster, and much of what we were devoted to was, or committed to was Ice Age floods. So at least 10 years ago, I felt like I was pretty much on top of my game as far as understanding at least the basics of Ice Age floods. And I don't want to call anybody out in particular... In just in general, I'll say that the company line from the American geologists working in the Channeled Scablands in the Pacific Northwest, that's eastern Washington, the company line is you have Glacial Lake Missoula, you burst through the ice dam, the water drains across eastern Washington, it drains to the Pacific through the Columbia River Gorge, there's multiple ice age floods. And all of the focus is on western Montana as the source of the water. And I didn't take the time. I meant to just a minute ago. But I, I thought, I just want to do this. I don't want to look it up. I was going to try to find a couple of video clips from those old interviews where the American geologists, who are the experts, they've devoted full careers to this. So we're to the annoying part right off the bat. Uh, I asked at least one of them, maybe more than one, on the record and off the record. There was a huge, this is me talking to these guys, these American geologists, there's a huge ice sheet just to the north of us. How can there not be any water coming directly from the Okanagan lobe? That's the name we have for the portion of the ice sheet, the Cordilleran ice sheet that covered British Columbia and crept down into the U.S. I kept asking, how is it impossible for water to come down the Okanagan Valley. So a little bit of geography for people who are listening from distant lands. When you get up to northern Washington, and remember I gave you a report, I guess last episode, didn't I, on this radio series uh, talking about the North Cascades? That's northern Washington, but the Okanagan Valley is just to the east of the North Cascades. Does that make any sense to you? So it's north central Washington. And there's a, a, a valley called the Okanagan. And that valley continues north across the Canadian border. Uh, and it's still called the Okanagan Valley. And there's Okanagan Lake. And that was the setting for this weekend that I just uh, returned from. Terrible grammar. Okay, well, let me finish my thought with the American geologists. And then I can get to Jerome Lessman and Vancouver Island University students and this great weekend that I had. The basic answer that I'd gotten from all the American geologists is there is no major Ice Age flood water coming across the border. There is nothing coming down the Okanagan Valley. Again, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I guess I was naive back then. And I just took it at face value. It's like, okay, these guys know their stuff backwards and forwards. I guess that means they have spent time... uh, looking carefully at the landforms around the little towns of Omak and Tenasket and Oroville and Riverside, like I assume they've been up there looking around. Okay, well, let's get the annoyance out of the way. I learned an incredible amount on the Canadian side of the border, huge landforms, massive deposits, from water and ice, and as I'm driving home yesterday afternoon after saying goodbye to Jerome and his class, and I crossed the border back into the U.S., I'm getting more and more pissed as I'm driving, because even I, driving 60 miles an hour south along U.S. 97 between Oroville and And then Tenasket, now I'm south of Tenasket, now I'm getting out of the car and I'm looking just on these side roads, just casually. Huge flood bars. What appeared to be giant current ripples just by driving down the frickin' road. I don't think those guys, I don't think those American geologists really spent time in the Okanagan. And it upsets me because there has been some impressive Ice Age floods. Geology publications by Jerome Lessman, his former advisor John Shaw, and others, and there's just a disconnect between the Americans and the and the Canadian geologists in this matter. And I'm especially uh, have an edge because I asked Jerome a bunch of questions. Yeah, I had my gizmo. Yeah, I had my iPhone. Yeah, I'm going to post a few videos. Uh, But the the real juicy stuff was just Jerome and I drinking a little wine at the the, uh, campsite and realizing that um, there's some really amazing geology just north of the border. I mean, literally within a few minutes of the border on the Canadian side, and nobody has connected the dots. Uh, in a broad sense, between the Canadian side and the American side, and it just—it just the part that ticks me off is that apparently people just haven't been up there on our side of the border, or worse, they know that there's big landforms, but it screws up their story, and so they're just ignoring it, or even worse, and we don't want to get into that. So, okay, I'm done with the the sour part. I want to share my excitement and share my uh, learning. And the, these will just be highlights off the top of my head. I'm still kind of processing what I was able to see. Okay, so let's let's get folksy now. So Jerome Lessman I met for the first time on a geology field trip in the U.S., multi-day field trip read, led by the uh, esteemed Dr. Vic Baker in the channeled Scablands, all the classic sites, uh, I didn't sign up for the trip to go to all the sites. I'd been to all the sites by doing things with Tom Foster and other folks uh, earlier. Uh, but I, I, I did want to learn directly from Vic. I did learn some things from him. Uh, but uh, I shared a van seat uh, with Jerome. And as is often the case with these field trips, you learn more just by talking one-on-one with folks instead of in these group settings out at some field outcrop. So I liked the way Jerome thought. I liked his ideas. I'd never heard of some of his ideas, which I'm about to share with you. And I kept in touch with him over the years. In fact, the following year, uh, Carl Loquist and I here at Central invited Jerome to come down and give a talk to our Ice Age Floods Institute group. And I remember that Jerome flew (laughs) instead of drove from the British Columbia, where he lives Uh, because it's just easier and quicker and actually not that much more expensive to fly instead of drive and deal with ferries and and, uh, the border and traffic in Seattle and everything else. So it was a great experience, and he talked specifically about Moses Cooley and wondered out loud in that talk about ice coming directly from the Okanagan lobe, in other words, having meltwater, sheets of meltwater underneath the Okanagan ice sheet and uh, acting like a fire hose coming down Moses Coulee, which to me seemed like a very exciting and reasonable idea, but that's not the company line, again, on this side of the border. Again, I'm just getting off of that. I'm getting off of that. Now, it's, it's just Jerome the rest of the time, Jerome and his students. I'm talking to myself now. <laughs> Damn, I mean, come on, man. Okay. Behave, boy. Behave. So since 2017, the last time that I saw Jerome in person, um, I I kept by email saying to Jerome, I really would like to follow up on this. I'd like to see some of these landforms that you're talking about. And let me not uh, screw around much more with what Jerome is basically saying. The classic idea about many landforms created during the Ice Age assumes that the landforms are directly deposited by ice. They're forming somehow mysteriously underneath the ice sheet itself. I'm talking about drumlins and eskers, I'm talking about uh, valleys. Uh, big and small valleys, and and so that's what I was taught 30, 40 years ago by Dave Michelson and others at the University of Wisconsin, let's say, Jim Knox, and Jerome, uh, who's in his mid to late 40s, and his former advisor, John Shaw, um, had a completely different take on this, And they're up there studying landforms directly underneath the ice on the Canadian side of the border. They say, how about these drumlins and these valleys are carved by water instead of ice? And here's the first kind of descriptive thing I'll try to, to share with you. The entire weekend was spent in the area of Kelowna, British Columbia. So Kelowna, Summerland, uh, Penticton. Do these names mean anything to you? Um, j- uh, hop, skipping, and jumping around there. We, we, we camped at Okanagan Lake Provincial Park, the southern part. The northern part's better, but it was closed. So the southern part of the campground. And the, the campground was packed. Like all the wildfires are finally gone and um, it's very unusual for the longtime folks that I visited with who always camp in October at that campground. They said, we've never seen it this fall this late in the year. But the weather was nice. The colors were great. And, again, the, you could actually have campfires uh, on the B.C. side for the first time since April or whatever. So it was, uh, it was a bustling place, and the ridges on both sides of Okanagan Lake looked like uh, turtle backs to me. They look like hard turtle shells. And what I mean is, you know, the shape is kind of this kind of turtle shell-like shape, but the shell is hard, meaning that it's bedrock. There is no sediment. There are no soft wrinkles. Uh, they, they look different up there than the ridges do down here in central Washington. Well, that's of course because the ice sheet was burying multiple times these ridges and sculpting them. But up until this weekend, um, let me let me add to the the turtle shell uh, idea first of all. So let's say that you put the turtle shell, in other words, these ridges made out of bedrock. Let's put the turtle shell in it in a microwave. How about that? And we soften it up just a touch, just a touch, like a stick of butter, like a like a like a refrigerated stick of butter and you're like oh damn it we got it we got to do some we got this this uh, this recipe and we we can't use this this hard butter we got to soften it so put the stick of butter in the in the, mic, in the microwave well let's do the same thing with our turtle shell let's just soften it up a little bit so turtle shell melted butter or stick of butter same thing right okay so after we take the turtle shell slash stick of butter what out of the microwave Let's drag our fingertips uh, along the stick of butter. Or, now that we have a softened turtle shell, uh, let's make some kind of fingered-shaped grooves uh, uh, along that, that turtle shell ridge. You with me? That's what it looks like. Yeah, it does. Everywhere. And even in the Washington side of the border, as I started to, you know, look around with a new fresh set of eyes... I could see that same grooved turtle shell on the Washington side as well, on the ridges on other side of the Okanagan Valley. Well, that in itself maybe is not that big a deal. You're like, well, I've been up through there. I know what you're talking about. I can picture exactly what you're talking about. There's these grooves. Pause for dramatic effect. Jerome and former advisor John Shaw say, yeah, those are related to the ice sheet, but the ice did not sculpt those. The water, the highly pressurized water, sheets of water underneath the ice, but above the bedrock, carved those grooves. The physics of such allowing for these landforms, the wrong way to say it. Let's just leave that right like that. That's a revelation to me. So suddenly, we're talking about a lot of water underneath the ice sheet, as opposed to the, kind of this dry ice sculpting over this turtleback uh, ridge. Bijou, you're going to have to just occupy yourself. Bijou's outside, uh, whining that he wants to be let in the house. It's not happening. Nope, sorry. Nope. Go play. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's the big moment because. If you buy in to the idea of water, and clearly I do after seeing all these landforms this past weekend. I mean, I kind of did even before going up there. But between the, the Glacial Lake Penticton sediments and the perched deltas on both sides of the Okanagan lobe, the other side of the Okanagan Valley, the drumlins, the eskers, the glacial till that's scarce. Let's just stop and pause there. There's not that much glacial till in this area of the Okanagan Lake on the British Columbia side. Why not? It seems like the easiest explanation is Jerome and John's idea that there probably were Blankets of glacial till, poorly sorted loose rocks deposited directly by the ice from a further advance. But late in the game, or maybe not exactly late in the game, but let's say in the last million years, you have these highly pressurized sheets of water underneath the ice sheet that uh, flushes out a bunch of the glacial till and remobilizes it, or converts it into glacial outwash, and where's all that water going with all that picked up glacial till? Ding, 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 ding. Washington. I'm an American geologist, and there's absolutely no way that there's Ice Age floods coming down the Okanagan. Baloney. You didn't look. You didn't look. And if you did look, I guess... It was 1973, and you didn't have air photos, you didn't have Google Earth, you didn't have LIDAR. I mean, that's your only out as far as I can tell. But I was just blown away by the scale of the Ice Age flood bars along US-97. US-97, not Canada now. Oh my God, it's just, I can't believe I'll do an about-face on this. I can't believe it. After what I saw this weekend, I cannot believe that I'm going to just a year from now go, oh eh, no, I guess. I guess Jerome's wrong. I guess Lesman's wrong. And all that stuff that he showed us. Yeah, it wasn't water. And the Americans were right. There is no water that ever crossed the border coming down the Okanagan. Baloney. I can't believe it. Boy, I was going to be happy here, and I'm, I'm still pissed. Wow, aren't you glad you tuned in? I hope that you're hearing the excitement, even though I'm a little bit annoyed. I hope you're hearing the excitement of discovering a new area, discovering new ideas on such a grand scale. So I'm still trying to talk myself off of this sour tone. So let let me just do that by giving you some folksy stuff, which I tried to do 10 minutes ago. It didn't work. Maybe it'll it'll stick this time. So Jerome uh, invited me to, in fact, Jerome's plan uh, two years ago was to fly from his home on Vancouver Island down to Wenatchee, Washington. I was going to pick him up, and we were just the two of us going to drive from, Van, from Wenatchee north, Chelan and the towns I just told you, across the border, go up in the Okanagan. He was going to show me all this stuff. Yeah, my dad was in his last few months, and so that didn't work. Then we punted to the next summer, summer of 2020. Well, can you guess why that didn't happen? Right, COVID, okay. So then we also couldn't do it this past summer because we couldn't get across the border. Either way, well, the skies part. At least Americans can cross into BC, and so Jerome says, hey, I'm doing this trip. It's my Geology 305, I think it is, my Geology 305 class. We're going to spend the weekend. We're going to all jump into this school van. I'm going to drive it. It's like a bus, basically, a mini bus. I'm going to drive them. Um, We're going to get on the ferry. We're going to get over to the mainland. We're going to drive through the city of Vancouver. This is Jerome talking. I'm going to have my dozen students, and we're going to show up um, just north of Penticton um, Friday night. October 1st, about 5 o'clock. Do you want to join us? I'm like, absolutely, I want to join you. I've got a car. Uh, and What do I need to do? And he says, well, you got to load up this app to get into Canada and put your vaccination cards on it, and then you need a rapid test or some kind of test to prove you have a negative result for uh, coronavirus. So I did that on Tuesday here in town, and they said, uh, you'll get your results in 72 hours. And I'm like, oh, 72 hours. That's about when I'm driving up on a Friday afternoon. And they say, well, I'm sorry, I can't can't do any faster for you. Tried a couple other places in town. Nope, sorry, can't give you a rapid test. So I'll leave that alone. But that's kind of silly that I can't get a rapid test easily here. But whatever. And the point is, I was going to leave at noon. Uh, I I... I taught geology 101 at 10 o'clock on Friday morning. And then I got back to my office after teaching. This is about 1115. Got a call from the hospital. And they say, got your negative test. You need to come in and get a printout. (laughs) Like I can't really, I don't have a digital version. No, you got to print it out. Okay. So I did that. Jumped in the car. Uh, Google Maps, I call her Julie. That's the voice that I have selected. So Julie said, here, here's the best way to get up the Okanagan. You drive from Ellensburg to Vantage to Afreda. And then, uh, again, this is the most direct route, according to Julie. Um, And then you drive up through Mansfield. I'm like, oh, this is perfect, man. Do you know Mansfield? It's a dinky little town. There's There's a terminal moraine of the Okanagan lobe. So I'm like driving up Moses Cooley which is the, the, the key feature that's still the most mysterious here in, in the channeled scab lands, and I am now a firm believer that that's Canadian water coming down underneath the Okanagan lobe and, and uh, scouring out Moses Cooley multiple times, as opposed to Montana water. Continue. Uh, let's see now. Mansfield, just a beautiful drive, 70 degrees. Just beautiful. Just listening to Joni Mitchell and uh, driving north. Uh, Chief Joseph Dam, uh, Bridgeport, and then hook up with 97 and away I go up up through the country I just talked about. Driving north on Friday afternoon. Omac, Riverside, Tanascot, Oroville, get to the border. I'm getting a little nervous now. Got all my stuff. Hope hope that I can uh, get through okay. It's a ghost town. The border's a ghost town. The guy was bored out of his tree. He's like, oh my God, a customer. So I pull up and I've got my app ready to go. He looks at it quickly. He says, you've got a negative test. I give him the printout. He's like, away you go. And it's late Friday afternoon now and all these orchards and wineries that uh, it's just all B.C. residents, not one American license plate that I was able to see. And rolled into the campground about 530 and there's Jerome and his class just unloading and setting up their tents. And so visited with everybody, brought a big bag of candy. That was a big hit. And um, Jerome and I tented uh, in one kind of isolated area and the rest of the class, they all had their tents. Uh, Saturday, I don't think I'll do a blow-by-blow, but I filmed a lot. Jerome was up for it. And so I mic'd him up, got the gizmo out, and at most of the field sites where he's talking to his students, uh, I filmed him. And I just saw some of the footage. looks like it worked. The, the, mic, the mic worked well. The, the visuals are good. I don't know. There's a lot of footage, so I'm not sure how many videos I will... Uh, post from the weekend. I'm slowing down because I'm thinking about it right now. I I mean, he's not talking directly to us. I'm not interviewing him. I'm just eavesdropping basically on his class, but he's a very good instructor. And I didn't have mics for every student, so you can't hear the full back and forth between him and the students. Uh, But I think there's enough to break out two videos, maybe even three. And it will be a little disjointed, you know, because the, the the viewers of these videos won't have the full experience. But, and and he's modest enough, and, and we talked about it a little bit uh, personally. Uh, he didn't want to put himself into the class that much. In other words, him, you know, talking about yeah, these Americans don't believe what we're saying, and uh, this Moses Cooley paper that I just. Uh, uh, Put out there was was rejected and you know all this he 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 doesn't he doesn't want the students to really be aware of his pivotal role in this ongoing discussion. But it's not even a discussion. That's the whole point. Okay, I'm going back to the anger thing, so I don't want to do that. Um, so he was just you know teaching his students basically, and he's, he goes every other year, and takes that class over to the Okanagan, so he knew the sites. Those are the landforms and the deposits um, that he worked on for his dissertation, his PhD dissertation. So he's seen changes to access and things to get to some of those spots. But um, uh, I guess I'm encouraging you to watch some of these videos when I post them in the next two weeks. I think you'll be impressed with his abilities. And I'm struggling right now, I'm realizing, in just a few minutes I have left, how to summarize, how to give you more specifics. I'll try, though, in the last few minutes. I guess I'll do this. Let me, let me just, uh, let's, what should I do here? I guess I'll just give you a little recap of each field stop. Saturday, Saturday was very packed. So we started right along Okanagan Lake and he talked briefly about the bedrock that's exposed in other words what kind of bedrock is in the turtleback that we could see on the east side of the lake for instance it's precambrian metamorphic rock in the okanagan on the canadian side and i'm like uh, afterwards i'm like whoa wait a minute what precambrian like this isn't the craton is it and then he helped me remember Because this is another reason I like this guy. He was very helpful. I'm Jerome now, I'm talking about. He was very helpful with the exotic terrain sessions that I was doing. He knows a lot of bedrock geology and old geology. Uh, And so, and he was available in some of the live chats uh, during those uh, exotic sessions last fall. So he helped me remember what I was doing, like Quinella and Stikinia and Cache Creek, and those collectively are called the Intermontane Superterrain. Well, there is some Precambrian basement for Quinelli, and that's what we were looking at, locally called the Shushwap Terrain or the Shushwap Core Complex. And Core Complex is a new concept for us, and will be discussed this winter during the Eocene live stream sessions. But the point is, he, he started with some bedrock exposed on both sides, a lot of it beautiful, kind of migmatites and other kinds of gneisses, uh, just a real striking mixture of lithologies. Uh, Pre-Cambrian, I assume some of those intrusions are Cretaceous, and some of those uh, granites were Eocene in age, some of them were Eocene volcanics. Again, part of the the new A to Z series I'm doing this winter, so I got excited about getting some direct experience with some of these local Eocene units in southern BC. Uh, That was the first stop, just to get things set, so let's pick it up. Boy, I got just a couple minutes left. Then the next stop was getting up high and looking over the lake and talking about Uh, what appeared to be benches on both sides of Okanagan Lake. Okay, students, let's try to figure this out, what those benches might be. Oh, they're lake beds. Oh, okay, they're like silty lake beds. Turns out those are from Glacial Lake Penticton, an Ice Age lake that used to be at a higher elevation than now. How do we know there used to be a higher lake level for Glacial Lake Penticton? Well, you can find these shorelines, but it's tough to find the shorelines of Glacial Lake Penticton because of the hard rock of the turtle shells, the turtle backs, difficult to cut a notch into those guys. But you can find these deltas, these deltas made out of sand and gravel that are coming down tributaries from the east and the west and draining into Glacial Lake Penticton, which is now today's Okanagan Lake at a lower level. So pointing out from that vantage point some of the perched deltas, quite impressive. Next stop, now we're getting to lunch. We park along a dangerous spot along busy U.S., uh, sorry, the Canadian version of Highway 97. We scramble up a very steep slope to get up and look carefully at these quote-unquote lake beds, and we realize it's not passive lake water at all. There's all sorts of evidence at a tiny scale of what looked like they'd be lake beds. They're actually debris flows. They're actually recording high energy. That's right. Water events coming in from the tributaries from the side. In other words, more flooding, but this on a much smaller scale. Some Buma sequences and some other detailed stratigraphy to indicate flow as opposed to standing water in a glacial lake. Almost every one of these sites, at first glance, it looked like a passive story. And then when you look carefully, you realize it's an active, dynamic water flow story. That's the theme for the whole weekend. And each field stop added to that theme. Very impressive. Uh, next went to a place we couldn't get to anymore because of a subdivision that was put in. But then there's an improv, and then, oh, God, there's a beautiful brand new cut as they're still putting in new homes into some glacial till. So getting a really good look at some fresh glacial till, which is rare in the area. But to see some poorly sorted glacial till with some erratics with some beautiful striations on them and each erratic a different lithology, very impressed by that. Then over to a type section uh, of some sediments that have some Mazama ash within them and some St. Helens ash from 50,000 years ago. That's right, Mount St. Helens erupting 50,000 years ago near Portland, Oregon and the ash falling in southern BC. There's plenty more there, but I'll move on with the last couple minutes I have. Uh in the afternoon late in the afternoon to an esker, try to talk about that. Then just before we lose light completely, it's dusk now and we're up by Vernon, British Columbia, looking at some exposed bedrock that is severely grooved. So we're in one of the turtle shells, the turtlebacks, and evidence of all that drumlinization or, sculpting in a linear sense, uh, indicating high water flow. Again, Jerome's not leading the students on. He's not trying to push one alternative. He's trying to be careful and responsible as a scientist. And he's allowing them to kind of lead the way towards water as opposed to ice. Boy, really nice. More chat that night at the campground. Get up Sunday morning. One more big stop before we part ways. Uh, down by Osoyoos. I think that's how to pronounce it, Osoyoos. Uh And there's evidence of a narrow canyon where there was an ice dam. That's right. Similar to the ice dam that held back Glacial Lake Missoula, there's evidence of those lake beds of Glacial Lake Penticton suddenly stopping. And to the south of that, there are no lake beds, but it's a real narrow constriction. And uh, other evidence of a little ice plug at the southern end of what is now Okanagan Lake. And then again, evidence of massive deposits of sand and gravel to the south, indicating a big outburst flood uh, probably late in the game, less than 20,000 years ago. And that was a minor flood compared to the major floods that sculpted the turtle shells on both sides of the valley. I mean, come on now. Seeing is believing. Having an open mind. Is it easy to go back and forth between B.C. and Washington? In normal times it is. Is it easy to coordinate between uh, geologists of different governments? I suppose it's not that easy. Is it just... Uh hanging to your clinging to your own familiar people and your own familiar landmarks and not even being willing to to look and listen to folks from across the border i'm afraid it kind of looks that way I'd love to be proven wrong. If somebody hears this and they're a longtime American Ice Age geologist and they go, look, you, you, just, you got the wrong impression. We've looked very carefully at all that stuff. We've read all of Jerome Lessman's paper and John Shaw's papers and the others up there who have done all this work, John Clegg, et cetera, And we just don't see the connection with the Pacific Northwest on the American side. But I have to do this before we quit. You do have an ice sheet over British Columbia, correct? It's more than 3 mile no, it's more than 3,000 feet thick in many places, correct? When you melt that ice sheet, it's all going to go down the Fraser River? It's all just going to drain to Victoria, B.C.? Is that what you're telling me? I can't believe it. I can't believe you're sticking to your guns like that especially with looking at some of these deposits, both north and south of the U.S.-Canada border. You got an edgy one today. Wasn't planning on being edgy here with you. But I'm genuinely impressed with what I saw this weekend, and I have sincere hopes of continuing to share the work of Jerome Lessman and possibly do more with him in the field on both sides of the border to just get a little bit more attention. And, hey, man, it'd be nice to have some young Ice Age geologists to start working on some of these problems. There's way more problems than there are um, solved issues. You've heard that before. But especially in this case, this is just ripe for massive amounts of progress with understanding the Ice Age floods in the Pacific Northwest. And it's, it's, you can count the number of geologists who've done this work on one hand. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. We need you. Are you young? Are you enthusiastic? Are you interested in the Ice Age floods? There's some obvious places for you to go in the Okanagan. Dear listener... Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode called Okanagan, what did I call it? Okanagan Ice Age Floods. I didn't even put a question mark in the title. There's no question mark for me. Big Ice Age Floods coming down the Okanagan. Maybe you heard it here first. And if you did, that's ridiculous. Thank you for listening. I love you. goodbye.